Turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 14. Luke chapter 14. And we have two weeks left in this series that we've been calling The Partying God. And um, we've been unpacking all kinds of beautiful revelations of who God is, who we as His people are called to be, how to respond to Him. And we, we're coming towards the end of that, this Sunday we're going to talk about our role in the party. Next week we're going to finish as we look at the end of time here on earth. You're going to want to be here to learn about how all of created history ends on this planet with the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so that's how we're going to end next week. I want to look at a particular text today that is actually where we got the whole concept of the partying God. And it was very revolutionary for me to understand my role in God's kingdom party. And it came through the specific uh, part of our faith that we call evangelism. I think many of us, when we have the thought of evangelism, we immediately have anxiety or fear perhaps awkwardness. And we sometimes shudder at the thought of being called as Christians to evangelism. And if you're just checking out the Christian faith for the first time, or you're new to to church or walking with God, evangelism is merely telling people about your relationship with Jesus. It's something that's clear in the Bible that we're called to do as the people of God. Now, perhaps like me, that you felt pretty insecure in the area of evangelism. And I had some, some pretty big blunders in evangelism in my early days. And it went something like this. I would, I would go to church and I would hear about how wonderful heaven was going to be and that heaven was forever and that those who had given their lives to Christ would be with him in heaven, which is the eternal party forever and ever. And that is truth. That is what scripture says. Heaven is a real place. And that's where the followers of Christ get to go. Now, the contrary is true that those who die without receiving Christ into their lives as their Lord and Savior, according to scripture, go to a Christless eternity, which is known as hell, the place reserved for Satan and his demons. It's a place that the Bible says is Uh, full of weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the fires are never quenched. Now, I would hear these uh, teachings in church growing up, and then I would think about my friends who didn't have a relationship with Christ, or my family members that I loved dearly but I knew weren't Christians, and I would get very, very concerned and go out with a fresh determination to tell them about Jesus. Now, I didn't have much equipping and I hadn't been in scripture. So all I knew to say was, you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven. And so you need to get to know Jesus. And so I I, I remember where I was in my friend John's house. We had had a great day playing. We were young, young guys and we had been out playing and having so much fun. And kind of halfway through our playtime, I looked at John and realized we're not going to get to play forever because I'm a Christian and John is not. And so in the midst of our playing, I looked at him and said, you know, John, we've had a great day playing, but I've got to tell you, you're going to hell. 
I'm still kind of blown away by my uh, smooth way of introing that conversation. I said, you're going to hell and I'm going to heaven. You're going to die in your sin. You need to accept Jesus right now. John was a little taken back and a little offended. And I want to tell you, unfortunately, our friendship never recovered because when John looked at my life, my life was no different than his. In fact, John was probably a better guy than I was. He was more moral. He was more honoring to adults. And so John just looked at me like, why are you telling me I'm going to hell? You jerk. Well, maybe you've had some situations like me where you've had some crash and burns when you're trying to tell people about Jesus. I think a lot of us have, and your heart's not bad. Your heart is good, but you just found that you've burned some people when you're sharing about faith and you're sharing about eternity. And so you've just thought, well, maybe it's better for me to just keep my mouth shut. Maybe, maybe I'll just try to just live a good life. And hopefully at some point, someone's going to have a revelation that Jesus is real and they'll ask me about him. And, but so often what happens is the people around us never get to know Jesus because you are the one person that's following Jesus that's in their sphere, in their circle, in their family. And so what happens for many people is that they never open their mouth and, and talk about the hope that they have, the peace that they found. And so many people in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families will never hear about Jesus. Now, I was thinking about one relationship that I actually had some success in. I kind of stumbled into it, and it was my friend Teddy. Teddy was my best friend growing up, and Teddy was a great guy, like John. Teddy also grew up in an unbelieving family. But one time we were having this event in our church, and this event was actually something that my church did really good. It was called Disciple Now or D Now. And, and what this was, was it was a large rally that we had as the youth group. And they brought in a rocking band. It was the one time we actually had kind of sweet rocked out band music like we have here on Sunday mornings. And then we had fun games for the young people. And, and then there was a, a young dynamic, funny speaker that came in that could really speak right to youth. And so it was like a big rally that night. And then we'd finish the rally and you'd go and stay in people's homes. And you had like a big slumber party, lots of food, fun games, and they'd bring in college students for each home. And so, you know, we thought that was so cool, especially in junior high. I have a college student spending the weekend with me. Wow. You know? And so Teddy came. I invited Teddy. I felt really good about this event. So I said, Teddy, why don't you come? Well, Teddy came and I saw him just having a blast throughout the weekend. And we had fun playing these different games. And then I watched as these student leaders would talk and, and Teddy was totally engaged. At the end of the weekend, I remember just being overjoyed as Teddy gave his life to Jesus. Now, Teddy's still walking with God today, which is awesome. Just, you know, 25 years later, something like that. So encouraging. So I thought, what was the difference? Because I was trying to get the same message into John and into Teddy. And as I read this passage in Luke 14 and my eyes were opened, I understood a lot of the difference between what I had tried to bring forth into John's life and what God had let me stumble into with Teddy. And I want to look at that today. Luke 14, starting in verse 15. It says this, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast 
of the kingdom of God. Now, just in case you thought that I'm stretching as we've done now, this is our sixth week in the Parting God series. What I want to tell you is that all over scripture... We see Jesus at parties, at festivals, at dinner gatherings. And here we have it again. Jesus is at a dinner party and someone's talking to him about a feast. And so Jesus is going to tell a story about a banquet. There's a dinner party, a feast, and a banquet right there. So Jesus uses this idea of a banquet to explain what the kingdom of God is like. This is where we get this whole concept of the party in God. So verse 16, it starts here. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. Now, Jesus is going to tell a parable. And Jesus' parables, for you to know, are always to help us understand God and his kingdom. He's always using parables. The the primary revelation that Jesus is expounding on in all his parables is an understanding of Father God and his kingdom. So he unpacks that a certain man was preparing a, a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you've ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. Verse 24, I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. This is known as the parable of the great banquet. And I believe that there are many beautiful characteristics of Father God that Jesus is unpacking for us. So let me just start with characteristic number one. God is a banquet host. God is a party thrower. If you're taking notes, God is a banquet host. God is a party thrower. When you think of God, is this the thought that comes to mind? Hopefully it is now if you've been with us for these past six weeks that you realize that One of the things that God feels is worthy of his time is throwing banquets. It's throwing feasts. This is who our God is. He is a partying God. Why? Because he loves to bless people and he loves to draw people into his home. Now, second characteristic is this. The father has an abundance. The father has an abundance. It doesn't just say that he threw a banquet. It says he threw a great banquet. And I was looking at that word great this, this week and studying it. And that uh, great word is from the Greek, megas. It comes from megas. This is where we derive our word mega. You know, like, that's mega cool. You know, that's a mega car. That's mega. This, this came from the Bible. God threw a mega party. This isn't just like a little dink, you know, oh yeah, there's some crackers and a little cheese. No, this is a mega banquet. Our God throws mega banquets. He's a God of abundance. And my question for you today, people, is 
Do you see God as a God of abundance? When someone else is blessed, do you go, oh no, they got blessed, that means I'm not going to get blessed. Or do you think, wow, God has so much that there's always room for everyone to receive. I want to ask you, do you have an abundance mentality of God and his kingdom? Or do you have a scarcity mentality? Oh, that person, you know, they got prayed for it. They got the good word. That means I don't get any words today at church, right? No, no, no. God has words to share. Oh, that person got financially blessed. Well, where's mine? That, that means, oh, they got, they always get the good things. Or do you go, no, no, you know, if God blessed that kid, he's going to bless me. That's the view that God wants us to have of him. Here, here's the third point is this, a characteristic of God. God sends out many invitations. He sends out many. It says he invited many guests. Now, if you want to get me mad as a pastor, talk about how God's just invited a few people into his kingdom. I want to tell you, that's a, that's a big teaching going on in the, in the body of Christ. There's, there's just a few people that are invited. I want to tell you that the... Jesus is painting a picture of the Father and he says that many guests were invited. The Bible says this. You might have heard this verse before. It says, for God so loved a few that he gave his only son. No, it doesn't say that. It says, for God so loved the God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You say, well, you know, okay, Robert, maybe you got, you got me on that verse, but I still think there's just a few people that God loves. How about this? 1 Timothy 2, 3, and 4 says, This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants a few people to be saved. Is that what it says? No, it says, what does it say? Who wants? Oh, I, I, I like that phrase, all people. That would be a great name for a church someday. To, to be saved. And come to a knowledge of the truth. Now, now listen very carefully. Am I saying that all people are going to be saved? Absolutely not. All people won't be saved. What, what we know is it's whoever believes, whoever receives, whoever chooses and says, yes, I receive your gift of salvation. What I'm not saying is that everybody on earth is going to end up there. That's not the case, unfortunately. But God is the God, the Father, who's sending out those invitations broadly. And when we don't think that, we kind of get snotty as Christians. And, oh, hey, hey, and the one who received the invitation, not you. Get out of my way. Right? And that's not God's heart. Every person that you see walking down the street, God longs to draw them near. Every person in your workplace, every per- will they all choose God? Absolutely not. But does God, God's heart break for him? Does God's heart long for him? He's a loving father who wants to draw all of them near. Here's the fourth characteristic I see. The father is proactive in, ga- in gathering people. He doesn't just throw out the invitations and then say, okay, well, let's, let's, let's see who gets the invitation. Well, oh, you know, the postal service kind of failed on that one, but too bad. So sad. No, God is the proactive one in gathering. So it says he sent out his servants. He sent out his servants. And, And this is what I want you to get today, because this was a huge revelation for me is who am I in the story? I'm the servant. I'm the one sent out. With the invitations, I'm the one sent out saying, hey, my daddy, he's got a big party. 
You know, th- th- this is what changed my understanding of evangelism. Because I-, I used to think this, that there the world is having all its fun in the midst of the party. Celebrate good times. They're doing those things. And then I come out as a Christian kind of sneaking up to them. And, you know, like they're having their party. They're having their fun. They're doing their dance and they're doing their thing. And I come up and go, cut it out. I bap them on the head with my Bible. Stop it. Cut it out. Stop having so much fun. You know, come, come to my church and sit in my pew. Right. That's what I thought I was supposed to do as a Christian. Right. I come up to him, bop him on the head, Bible thump him and, and, and then cut it out. Stop it. Come sit down by me and let's suck on lemons together. You know, and wow, that's awesome. That, that, that's, that's how I perceived it, you know? And, and no one wants to be bummer man. You know, bummer man, he delivers, come into the party, ruin it. No, God says, no, th- this is what you are. You're the servant. You've been sent out with the invitations and then you're saying, hey, come on, come on in. Oh, there's a good party going over here. There, there, there's something so awesome. But, but, but look, at, look at what happens. This is the interesting thing that happens is that there are these distractions. The servants go out, you and I go out, and, 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 and we're inviters. That's what we are. We're party invitation pass-outers. That is your role. Okay, it's not bummer man. It's not Bible thumper, right? It's not bop people on the header, right? That's not who, the Bible's clear that we're pointing to the party. We're pointing back to that, right? It's, it's so awesome, but... But here's, but here's what happens. They go out and they say, come, for everything is now ready. Right? And, and, and so it's not even just what I thought, which is like, just tell people about heaven. It's not just someday it's going to be ready. It says, everything is now ready. So we go... And we tell people about the kingdom now. Now, I I love heaven, and I'm not saying to not talk to people about heaven. That's great. And in fact, listen to me on this whole message. Paul says in Philippians that however the motive was, I rejoice that the gospel's preached. So if your thing is to get in people's face and and to get on, I'm not coming down on you. Praise God you're out there doing it. So this isn't something, but, but, but what I'm trying to tell you is a lot of us are afraid to share the gospel because we think we have to go and be jerks. And the Bible said, no, you actually get to come bearing the best and the most exciting message and point to the party and say, it's now ready. It's now, because what is happening now? Well, in the kingdom of God right now is joy, is love, it's peace, peace, peace. it's peace, it's patience, it's kindness, it's goodness, it's faithfulness, it's gentleness and self-control. You're saying, now God is giving me peace. David says in Psalm 23, that he's brought me to his banqueting table. Not he's going to bring me to his banqueting table. He says, no, he brought me to his banqueting table and his banner over me is love. And you prepared a feast for me in the midst of my enemies right now. It's now ready. So we go out with those invitations and say, hey, right now there's a party going on. But here's what the people say. They, they're, they're distracted by some different things. And so they all alike begin to make excuses. It's kind of crazy that they're making excuses to go to a party. They're like, no, I'm not going to go to your party. Why? Well, the first one says this. Well, I've just bought a field 
and I must go and see it. Okay, there's nothing wrong with fields, okay? This is a possession, okay? So distraction number one is a possession. There's nothing wrong with possessions. But the problem is that sometimes possessions can possess us. So this guy, he bought a field. Now, what he could have done is said, hey, I just bought a field. It's a good day. But yeah, I have time to come to your party and I can go to my field tomorrow. But this guy was so in love with his field that he loved his field more than he loved a great loving banquet owner who was going to throw a party. So he's like, hey, sorry, I can't go because I got to go walk around my field and love on my field. And I just love fields and dirt and just want to be with my field, right? Let me ask you this. Is there any possession that you love more than the king and his kingdom? Because possessions can possess us. They're not wrong. It's not wrong to have a possession. But you can tell that it's gotten out of line when you'd rather spend time with your possession than the king. Okay, number two. It says this. The, the next person says, well, I've just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. What, what do yoke of oxen symbolize? They symbolize work. Okay, there's nothing wrong with work. Work's a good thing. Work's established before the fall. We were created to work. But this guy is obsessive with work, right? He can only use one yoke of oxen at a time, right? I, you can't do five yoke of oxen, but what is this saying? Jesus is trying to help us understand this guy's obsessed with work. He said, hey, one yoke of oxen is not enough. You know, I'm going to be like just Superman doing all my yoke of oxen. And I got to do it right now. And parties are at night, but this guy's like, no, no, even at night, I've got to try out my yoke of oxen. His work was owning him. Let me ask you, what would your friends and family say about you? Do you love work more? Is there anything that you're more obsessed with than God and his kingdom? Work, work often become, can become a god or an idol in our lives. Here's the last one. This last person goes, well, I just got married and I can't come. Now, marriage is awesome. Relationships. This was about relationships. Relationships are a gift. But I want to tell you that oftentimes we can make relationship an idol. And we, we all of a sudden, we look to our relationship to bring us what God and his kingdom can bring us. And so God brought relationships to make us more effective in the kingdom. Your marriage should make you more effective in the kingdom. Your friendships should draw you closer to the king and his kingdom. But if they're drawing you away, you know, if you're just like, hey, it's just about me and my little family and, and that's my number one priority, then you're not a person who could say, the greatest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Your family, your friends, your marriage, it's a gift from God, but don't let it get first place in your heart because then it's becoming an idol and then the enemy will steal you away from the king and his abundant life. So one by one, they make excuses. So what happens next? Now, this is interesting. This is, this is really interesting to me because it says this. The servant came back and reported to his master, and then the owner of the house became angry. Okay, now, this might surprise you because we've been talking about the partying God. So you might have thought, you know, Robert's view of God is just this happy, slappy grandpa. You know, he's just... He's just up there throwing parties, giving out party invitations. You know how a lot of times grandpas, I know you grandpas in the room, you don't want to discipline the kids. You're like, that's the dad's job. I'm just going to spoil them, you know, this candy and little horse rides on my leg. And God's not a grandpa. God, I love grandpas, by the way. I have great grandpas. Thank you, grandpas, for investing in me and my kids. But 
I, I want to tell you that God became angry. He actually gets angry. And what's he angry at? He's angry that people are missing out on his best and his love. And so what does he do? Now, the interesting thing is God does something very different in his anger than often we do. He doesn't lash out at people. He doesn't beat them down. What he does is he, he instead becomes more proactive in inviting other people. And so it says, go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. He's so different than us. God's angry. He's frustrated at people who've rejected him. So he says, I'm, I'm just casting the nets even wider this time. And I'm going to send out my invitation specifically to a group that I know is going to receive this. You know, this has really been our heart at All People's Church. I remember when I first moved to San Diego and I'd meet pastors and they'd say, San Diego is a very hard place to plant a church because, you know, people have the beach and, and, and people have their hobbies and people are just living the good life in Southern California and they're, and they're really hard to reach. But we said, you know what? God has called us to, to focus on the poor and the broken and the ones who are in need. And, and within the first Three months of the church, we had seen 80 people make decisions for Christ. And people were blown away by it. And then when in the first eight months, we had seen 120 people come to Christ. People said, well, what is going on? Why is this happening? And we said, you know, it's because God has called us to the hurting and the broken and the needy. And he's always faithful to his word. Jesus said, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because God, he's anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. And I want to tell you, men and women, today, open your eyes in your workplaces. Because often the people that have everything going for them, they have the fields, they just bought the new, you know, five yoke of oxen. They just are full relationally. They're not hungry. But God's saying, look to the poor. Look to those who are hurting. Look to those who are broken in your workplaces. Students, you high school students, look to the ones in the cafeterias that no one's sitting next to. College students, look to the ones that are just walking alone and they look discouraged. Those are the ones who are in desperate need of a party invitation. And and I actually believe that a lot of the tragedies that are going on in schools today, they would be circumvented if we went to those people those hurting and broken people that end up lashing out and they end up getting taken and used by the enemy, if the church would always be having our minds and our eyes and our hearts open to those ones that are desperately needing an invitation to come into the loving, joy-filled banquet of God. That's what we've got to do, church. That's what we've got to do, students. That's what we have to teach our kids. I teach my kids, look to the ones that are at lunch with no friends and you go be a friend to them because they need you and they need Jesus. And what happens? What happens? Let's, let's keep reading. It says, he, he, he goes, well, what you've ordered has already been done, but there's still room. I want to tell you, I think that's one of the main reasons that Jesus hasn't returned yet, is there's still room. Jesus paints the Father as one who has a large house, who wants it full. Listen to what he says in here. The master told the servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house may be full. 
That's that's how I am. I I love my house full. I love sitting around my table and just having my little kids sitting around me. That's how God is. He just wants his house full. He just wants a full house. Why? Because his heart is full of love and he wants to lavish it on his people. That's who God is. And so he's saying, servants, keep going out. Keep going. Go to the places that no one else... Instead of going to, to the fancy places, the nice places, now go under the highways and the byways and go into the alleys and go to the corners and, and, and go to those places where people have forgotten because I want to bring those people in to me. This is God's part. I, one of the joys I had growing up, I had really wealthy grandparents. And so they had a big mansion and they had a ranch and they had a pool on it and they had ponds to fish in. And this is a really cool place. And what I loved doing, this was back in Texas, what I loved doing when I, when I started walking with God is I'd see these missionary families and they'd come off the field and they'd have no money. And so they, they wouldn't have an opportunity to take a vacation. But because I knew that my grandparents were very generous... And I knew that they loved to bless people. I would get to go out and invite these people. Say, you know what? You don't have a place for vacation. How about going to my grandparents' place and staying in their guest house and just sitting out by the pool and enjoying romping around the the country and getting to take the kids fishing. And and family after family would say, that was the best vacation. It had nothing to do with me. It wasn't my generosity. I just got to be the one giving the invitations because I knew my grandparents loved to bless people. That's how we are in the kingdom. You've got this rich father that you know just loves people. And so you walk out with confidence as his kid going, you know, my, I got a rich dad. My dad is bad. And, and, and you got to meet him because if you meet him, he is going to bless you. And you're going to think my dad is bad. Right? You're, you're going to love my dad. And he's just going to lavish his love and his blessing on you. That is how Jesus is telling us to look. Now, I, I've got to take you into one last scripture because this is so good. And I think the lack of this is why so many people in the church aren't overflowing with his love and, and his joy. Go with me real quick to John chapter 7, verse 37 through 38. It says this, it says, On the last and greatest day of the feast, or the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the spirit whom those he believed in him were later to receive. Up to that point, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not yet been glorified. Jesus shows up yet again at another party. And it says on the last day, he comes out and he goes, excuse me, everybody. If you're still hungry. If you're still thirsty after stuffing your face for seven days, it's because this world's food will never satisfy you. So come to me. And he doesn't just say, I'm going to fill you. He says, out of me is flowing something. And so out of you can flow something. He says, I want to give you a drink that's not just going to flow into you. It's going to start flowing out of you. It's living water. It's the Holy Spirit. And I believe that there's many people in the church today who don't overflow with the love of God because they're not overflowing with the Holy Spirit. And we need to be saturated. When, when you were saved, the Holy Spirit came in and sealed you for the day of redemption. That's what Colossians says. 
But I want to tell you that it doesn't stop there throughout the New Testament. Then Jesus is talking about the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 180 says, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you'll be my witnesses. Now, Acts 2, the Spirit poured out in Pentecost, and it was so dramatic. Then the gifts of the Spirit started happening, and the people actually said, those people have been partying. And they said, the direct quote is, these men are drunk. And Peter gets up and says, these men aren't drunk. It's only nine in the morning. No, that's the Holy Spirit pouring out. What happened? The Holy Spirit was coming on people in such a supernatural way that things were flowing out of them. And I want to ask you, have you had those kind of dynamic experiences with the Holy Spirit? Because I want to tell you, if you haven't, ask for it. Because God loves to give gifts to those who ask and he wants to overwhelm you with his spirit and you need it. If not, you'll get dry, you'll get crusty, you'll stop wanting to party as a believer. But the Holy Spirit is so much better than any of the world's parties. He wants to fill you up. He wants to saturate you. He wants to baptize you. He doesn't want you to just have a little in you. Just, oh, there's a little spirit in me. No, he wants to clothe you, to baptize you. It means to submerge you. And so that every person that you're walking and touching is getting wet. And he wants to convince you that his party is the best. Why don't you stand up with me? There, there's, there's two things that I'm hoping you leave today understanding. One, my role isn't to, to, to just have to go out and end people's fun. Instead, I'm passing out invitations to the kingdom party. And, and the second one is this. I need the Holy Spirit to fill me, to clothe me with His power, to submerge me so that I can be fully convinced that God's joy is better than all the joys on the earth, and that I can go and spread that love as it flows out of me. So this, this is what I want to do specifically today. I'm going to ask those of you leaders, if you can come forward right here, that want to pray for people to just be have a fresh touch from the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. Just come right here, leaders. Just come right over here, right here, right now. If you've never given your life to Jesus before, I want to encourage you as well. Uh, maybe you can come over here. We'd love to pray with you. You heard the, the message and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to heaven, Robert. That's a good question. I'd love for some people over here to pray for you as well. So you're saying, I just want to be freshly touched and filled with the Holy Spirit. I've heard of the Holy Spirit, but I don't, I don't feel Him like that. I'm not experiencing the power of God. I'm not... I'm not seeing people touched and changed and healed. And I don't have that. I don't carry that joy. There's got to be more. You come here. If you need to give your life to Christ, just come to one of these leaders. And also, maybe on this side, I had numerous people while we were waiting on the Lord earlier say some different healing that God was wanting to do. Someone came up and had a specific word about a, a pancreas problem being healed. If that's you, want to, uh, for you to be prayed for, you can come over here. I heard someone else talk about a, a, a neck issue on the left side of the neck. If that's you, you can be prayed for. Let's just have some time of responding to God. Holy Spirit, won't you come and do what you do best? And that's glorify Jesus and touch your church and touch your people. And right now, Lord, we just want to have some time of responding and you moving. You've been moving all morning, but Lord, come and do your work in our midst. If you need prayer, you just start coming right now. Just start making your way boldly 
forward and we want to pray for you this morning.